Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Welcome, everyone, to Brand. Uh, okay, let's stop. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, David Morrow, and my co-host, Mark Mosher, is in our studio as well. Mark, how are you today? Doing well, David. How are you? Are you, are you doing well? Is today a good day for you? Today is a good day. Do you know why? Why is that? Because I choose it to be a good day. You choose to be a good day. I choose it to be Mark a good is, day. You are the most positive, positive <laughs> person I know, and that is really, really good. So Attitude is a choice, not a result of circumstances. Great. Well, that is That's about absolutely. as in and as deep as I can go. Yes, <laughs> you're about as deep as a Dixie cup, so that's good. Yeah, so we have, we have two special guests in our studio today. We have... Kevin Pulsey, Kevin from Conica Minolta. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate you being present. Uh, you've been a great facilitator for our podcast, and we've had great guests on here, uh, thanks to you. And now we're going to invite you into the fold and corrupt you as well. And we have, <laughs> and we have a very, actually a very esteemed um, uh, guest, uh, Karen Gregerson. Karen, thank you very much for spending time with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's great. So let's start right from the top. Uh, we know what the uh, podcast is about. It's about leadership, especially female leadership. Um, tell us who you are. Tell the uh, audience kind of what it is that you do. Well, okay. Well, I'm uh, Karen Gregerson, as you announced at the beginning of the show. I'm the president and CEO of the Farmers Bank. We are a community bank with capital C, headquartered in Frankfurt, Indiana. Not Frankton, not Franklin, Frankfurt. Frankfurt is halfway between Lafayette and Indianapolis. Okay. We have, right. yep, a kind of northwest uh, of Indianapolis. And we have 10 branches, uh, primarily in Clinton County, but we're also in Hamilton and Boone County. We have branches in Sheridan, Noblesville, and Fishers. Aren't you in um, Warsaw also? No, you know, there are a lot of farmers uh, banks There's uh, and different names for farmers banks. So okay. it's interesting that a, a bank with a very common name is on your podcast for brandology. And, um, you know, our brand gets confused a lot because our names are so similar. Sure. Uh, but no, we are not up in Warsaw. I'm trying to think of who that might be. That's another maybe farmers and merchants or 
uh, another unrelated institution. Okay, okay. And you are a community bank. So what does what, is, what does that mean? Like compared well, to like most people just they've got five grand and they've saved it and they go to mm -hmm. a bank. They don't even know whether even the difference between a credit union, Chase, and a community bank. So can you just explain this from a high level, kind of the meaning behind it? Because it's very significant. It is very significant. It's a big differentiator for us, too. So by community bank, uh, one of the things that I think makes us a community bank is that we're owned by people who have some connection with our community. That could be maybe they're originally from Clinton County or their family was from Clinton County. Uh, perhaps they banked with us and they like our business model and they want to be a shareholder. Um, and then more importantly, it's how we show up, how we show up in the community. Um, our employees uh, give of their time um, and their talent and their treasure. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, this uh, weekend, we're having a shred day. So we pay for a shred truck to come into our parking lot on a Saturday. Our employees help unload. Well, now under COVID, we are unloading um, out of the uh, trunk of um, our um, the community's cars, uh, the documents, private documents, and they're shredded on the spot. Oh, we that's do that not cheap. That's not, that's not an expense. I mean, because I've, I've, I've owned businesses in the past and we would have to drop off all, uh, yeah, I was in law years ago, mm -hmm. and we would have to drop off tons and tons of paper to be shredded, and that was not cheap at all. Yeah, so we have people that work years' worth of statements. And oh, yeah, that's great. That's a really good thing to do. Yeah, that's, so that's just an example of one way. Um, you know, we're very involved with United Way. We're um, mm. the second largest employer con contributor in Clinton County. Um, so just lots of different ways that we um, participate in the community. So that's one of our differentiators. That's great. That's great. And we, we believe that too. We're a national company, but we are market-based. We're very involved with um, United Ways of Indiana. Um, that's one of our clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do a lot for them. We do a lot of uh, uh, nonprofit work and things like that. So we, we, we absolutely think alike. So that's great. Our employees, they serve on boards in the, in the community, and um, they're a great resource for the not-for-profits. So that's uh, another way to participate in the community. That's great. Mm -hmm. We're also, another way we're in the community is um, we're not owned by a single family, or we don't even have a concentration of ownership. So um, uh, we're not uh, dependent upon uh, the succession of a family member for our continued independence. We're uh, just oh. dependent upon the support of our customers, you know, choosing to bank with us. And then we then give back to the community in um, a lot of different ways that we, some of which we've talked about. Excellent. That's great. I, one other thing I'd like to say with the farmer's name, a lot of people think that we're a bank just for farmers. And while that might have been the case when the bank was initially formed in 1876, uh, we actually have become the bank for entrepreneurs business owners, uh, commercial real estate developers, investors, and of course, individuals. Um, and so uh, farming and agribusiness make up about 12% of our total business. Uh, oh, still really? a oh, so that is very interesting, actually. So yeah, there's a lot of SMB work. There's a lot of small business loans mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, oh, that's really interesting. So only 12% are actually agribusiness. True. So it is a niche for us. We have a couple of course, bankers sure. focus on that, but we are also a preferred uh, lender for SBA. So we did a lot of oh, uh, PPP 
paid loans here uh, this past quarter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, prior to that, um, have done a lot of small business loans. Oh, that's great. Hey everyone, the Brandology team has a special coming soon, and it's the rise and fall of an iconic international social media platform. At its peak, the website was valued at over $12 billion and had 75,000 new users every day. But within a few short years, it was liquidated and sold for pennies on the dollar. What went wrong? What caused this huge brand to fizzle? It was launched in 2004 and was acquired just a year later for over a half a billion dollars from Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. In fact, for the next three years, it was the largest social media site in the world. In 2006, it surpassed Google as the most visited site in the United States. So where in the world is it? Why is your new band's music not on it? Why do you not have an account on it anymore? Why even is this ridiculous podcast not hosted on it? What happened and why did it happen? Come listen as we explore in this next series the rise and fall of the iconic social media platform, MySpace. I'm curious, Karen, I, I know that you've been in the the industry for quite some time and yes have had some great results and great achievements looking back how is how would you say or characterize how technology has changed banking oh my goodness so all right <laughs> I'm gonna date myself I know that's a um, long list right <laughs> yeah uh, so when I first um, got into banking right out of Ball State um, we did not have computers on our desks um, and so the accountants who might be listening might remember green ledger paper. Uh, you oh, guys yeah. are too young for that. Uh, we no, actually use green ledger paper. <laughs> um, so computers have allowed us to do so much more, so much faster, analyzing data and using data to make decisions that would have taken hours to do, or it maybe wouldn't even been possible to, to get the data. Um, and so it's definitely changed how our work is done but probably more important in the industry, it's changed how people choose to bank. Um, now there's still people who choose to bank to come in to cash their checks, but more and more people are choosing not to do that, but they prefer the convenience of their own home. So they just snap a picture of the check and then it's automatically you know, put into their account. Um, so yeah, the effect on our, our customer base has probably been even bigger than the effect on how we do business. Yeah, I would say your industry, probably more so than any other, has seen the biggest impact from mm -hmm. technology and technology, and all for a, a good measure, for good means, um, yeah. to improve customer satisfaction, to improve the volume of business you can do at the local level. That's um, really interesting. And kind of along those same lines, let me ask you, with you know going through this pandemic, um, what changes have you made or had to make um, because of that, I mean, I think we all kind of know some of the basics, but maybe what, what have you guys had to do? Well, we've had to do a lot from how we're serving our customers. Um, you know, there is a population that still prefer to do their banking in person. And there for a while, we did have to close our lobbies um, because of, you know, not sure what the impact was early on. Uh, we extended our, our drive-up hours to make it more accessible for them, though. Okay. Um, so we've had to make changes on how our customers um, are coming in to do their banking. Now our lobbies are open again, and but we've had to, you know, deal with first no masks and then masks, 
You know, in banking, we get a little uncomfortable when people walk into the bank with a mask on. You know, generally, yeah, that's the, that's yeah I've always wondered about that. that. <laughs> and yeah. so we were not encouraging masks initially. Then, of course, uh, we are following the governor's mandate right. and um, asking people to come in wearing a mask. And then, of course, we have to identify them. We have them look at the camera so we can identify them to make sure they're who they say, you know, who they say they are. So we don't give some of these money to the wrong person. Um, and also from a safety standpoint. So those are some very um, obvious things. But then we've had to, then we've done other things to help our customers through a tough time. Um, we've allowed a deferral of principal and interest payments on loans. Um, we've um worked with our customers and you know some of them are especially our commercial customers aren't, aren't able to provide the financial statements on a timely basis yet so we're we're doing a lot to work with them then of course we had the ppp and um that's really what threw us into being economic first responders it's like what i like to call mm -hmm. it um we were first responders our you know there were businesses they were going to fail without the ppp yeah. money mm -hmm. now do you guys all know what uh the payment protection program is all about and no, Probably. but uh, just yeah, um, we do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. But if you could just explain it from my level, love to, yeah, love to. Yeah, hear that'd that. be great. Okay, so um, Congress passed um, um, a law that allowed for the um, Small Business Administration uh, through the Department of Treasury to um, to support PPP loans, Payment Protection Program. And the way it worked is uh, the business could calculate how much payroll they had over the prior um, eight weeks and they could get loans for that amount. The intent was to ensure that they could continue to keep people in employment. And if they did that, then that loan would be forgiven. So the bank is loaning out our money with the hopes that we were gonna have, our customer will be forgiven for that loan and we'll get paid back through the government. And um, it was a pretty crazy time because the rules were not all done at upfront when the money was allocated and then it was kind of a free for all to try to a big scramble to try to get um, the allocation of funds. And we ended up doing uh, 41 million in loans, which for us wow. is like two and a half years worth of wow. production in a matter of weeks. And um, that was 401 borrowers that we helped save their business. And that was 5,126 jobs that were saved as a result. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, that's why I call us economic first responders, because there are literally businesses who would not have made it through it without the support of the PPP program. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, that was great to be able to that. Yeah. So let me ask you about this. So you, where did you grow up? So I always have a hard time answering that question because <laughs> I actually went to six different schools by the time I was in eighth grade. Um, so early in, like in my elementary school years, I grew up in Indianapolis, on the east side of Indianapolis. My family um, were young uh, parents who had their children young and they were um, high school graduates, blue collar workers. Yep. But dad was able to get his um, career moving a little bit. We'd move whenever we could get into a better situation. And so that caused us to change schools a lot. And then ultimately, his um, job took him to Marion, Indiana, and that's where I okay. went for my high school years. Yep. Okay. So, and then from of, there, I guess mm -hmm. my question is: is how do you go from there to being president of a bank? <laughs> well, I can tell you, it wasn't because I planned it that way, um, <laughs> but I did, of course, go to college and. Um, 
when I uh, graduated with an accounting degree. I passed the CPA exam. Um, that is not an easy exam, by the way. Like I, it's, it's not. <laughs> no, I, I, my background is in law, and several of the my best friends from from law that I when I took the bar exam, they had also been CPAs. And I was just whining and complaining about that bar exam. And we passed it on the first time and they said, that was nothing. They all said the hardest thing they've ever done was that CPA exam. And so I just decided right there and then I will never be a CPA. Because <laughs> I could barely, so I could never make it back. I was not going to go through that again. But you could do it. I'm confident you could. It's just, wow. just a, I just feel really glad I don't have to take it more than once. Oh, yeah. You know? You never have to prove yourself again, even though the right. laws are all changed. Um, but anyway, um, when I graduated from college, the, the economy was far worse than it is today. True. Unemployment exactly. was about 20% in, in mid part of um, Indiana. Um, and I ended up going to work for a family owned bank, uh, which is now Star Financial Bank. Um, oh, okay. And I see them. Yep. Mary. Yep. Yep. And then they ultimately moved to Fort Wayne and our family moved uh, along with them. And so I actually thought I was gonna retire as the chief financial officer of, of STAR. I, that was my plan, but um, I was getting a little restless. It's like, is this really what I wanna do for, you know, I'd already been CFO for you know, 16, 17, 18 years. Is this really what I, what I wanna do for the rest of my career? And I thought, you know, I think I've got, you know, 10, 12 years left in me. Um, I'll be remain open for other opportunities. And then I received a phone call uh, from a recruiter about uh, this president job. In between, I had, um, you know, before I turned 50, I wanted to get my master's degree. And I was looking at different programs and I looked at, of course, at an MBA, because isn't that what business people do? Right. And I would look at the curriculum and it was like quantitative this, economic that. I'm like, ugh, that's what I do all day anyway. Right. <laughs> want to do more of that and so I ended up getting a master's in organizational leadership and I think that was very oh, pivotal for me really interesting yeah to realize I had more than just you know more than just a bean counter to use a, a somewhat derogatory term used often with accountants um, that it's really the leadership that I enjoyed the most about my role as CFO and I wanted to do more of that so you know, I think you within, the, within a bank that of your size, yeah, that you've got the ability to kind of bring people up and through the ranks and that with your, your leadership training and recognition of people's skills and, you know, that lends to a um, kind of a fa fundamental belief that David and I share. And that's if, if you hire the right people and you find the right seat for them, that they'll develop a culture and help create a culture and grow a culture that will actually grow a business. Would you agree with that? I agree. It's um, people grow, um, not businesses don't grow. I mean, right. people have to grow first, and then the business will grow yep. as a result. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, we are we are big fans of. We had um, Dr. Rosie Ward on here. We're big fans of Brene Brown and um, Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. and uh, people like that. And. I've just, I just do the research behind it and it just makes sense, right? Because when you look at, you know, up until the 80s and 90s, never in America did we ever balance the books by cutting people. No. We didn't used to do that. Like it wasn't something that was done. 
right? We would all kind of, I always think of, um, uh, uh, of Bob Chapman, the head of um, uh, that the manufacturing firm down in uh, St. Louis and Kansas City, who, when times get tight, just everybody tightens their belt. Don't fire people, right? Just mm-hmm. everybody, everybody takes a pay cut. We all do. Mm-hmm. The leaders, the CEO, everybody does. And then mm-hmm. you make it through, and you make it through together. And that, to me does several things and that is we can beat people into submission as managers all we want and all that's going to happen is they're going to work for a paycheck they're going to lie and they're going to say yes i did this activity but nothing's going to happen as opposed to getting people to genuinely believe what you believe and buy into the brand and then work with blood sweat and tears Right? Like you got to win their part. Yeah, because the reason Mark takes my call or my text at, <laughs> at 8.30 at night on Saturday and we start chatting is because he believes what I believe. Like, yeah. it's not because he's not, he's not going, hey, I'm on the weekend. You're not, this is off hours, boss. You should not be doing it. It's nothing like that. It's because we both have the same objective. His success is my success. Our brand success is all of our success that's what it's all about right and because yeah because he knows when things get tight right i'm the first one to jump on the sword in fact he jokes about like i have a certain outfit that i wear from jumping on the sword right because that's what i have to do as 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 that leader and so um that's really interesting so so tell us about some of the things that you learned in that in that path of organizational leadership can you just expand just from a high level? Is that okay? Yeah. So it's everything about um, managing and motivating people. Um, we um, and about how to provide feedback uh, to mm-hmm. people. Transparency, uh, course, right? Transparency. Right? And, and of course, that's changed a lot, right? Because um, you know, early on, it was annual performance reviews. And, and now so many companies are doing away with annual performance and reviews, so it's more of continuous feedback. And right. So uh, that was uh, some of the concepts introduced to me uh, through that organizational leadership program. Um, and then of course, strategic planning. I had to do a research paper on um, a topic that I chose, and I chose about um, trust and, and how important trust is in leadership. And um, that was, I found out uh, while I don't like writing, I like research. And uh, I spent a lot of time on the research side, and it's like, I'm gonna get this reduced to writing. So, mm-hmm. um, but I love the research on trust and how important trust is in uh, leading an organization. It, it's the foundational aspect of, um, of doing anything. I think it all gets back to brands. And brands, I don't believe philosophically and like religiously, I don't believe anybody wants to be sold anything. No, I don't wanna be sold I, anything, ever. I never wanna be sold. I want someone to believe what I believe and show me a way to like, show me some value, show me some value, show me, show me something that is genuinely going to help what we care about. And then we will pay you for it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's True. not sales. When, no. we think of, when people think of sales, they think of, you know, somebody lying and over promising and promising them Xanadu and then delivering like some 
double wide in a desert, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what they mm -hmm. think is, is sales. And mm -hmm. that's not what genuine sales is. What genuine sales is, is just understanding what matters to someone. Like, you know, Mark is a huge believer and Mark and I both talk too much, obviously. We have a podcast. Right, right. But we both believe that our best meetings are ones where clients talk 70 to 80% of the time. And right. we, we listen. And we literally just learn 20% of the time. Right? And that's, we are there just talking and asking questions in order to understand what the need is. Because we can do anything. Anything any company does is commoditized. Exactly. Right? Like almost anything anybody does. Everybody wants to think they're special and they're not, right? Everything that everybody offers is essentially commoditized. So if we're able to really understand what the need is, then we can say, is it okay if, if we bid on this? And if not, it's okay to say no. Because that's, yeah, yeah. that's the type of salesperson I want selling to me. I like to say that you have to earn the right to give advice. Yeah. You know, I can't, that's I have that's to a great phrase. Advice. I love that. I've never heard that, actually. That's great. You have to, you have earn, to that. earn the right to give advice. Like on LinkedIn, whenever someone's like, I'm a trusted advisor. I'm like, no, you're a salesman. Like, you can't call yourself a trusted advisor. You have to earn the right to be a trusted advisor. Exactly. And, it's, and it comes from listening, asking questions so you can understand what their needs, and then ask permission if you can give advice um, to help solve that need. Um, so I, I'm, I agree 100% with your philosophy on sales. And, and, and fortunately, sales has become a kind of a bad word because yeah, sure. so many people do it so poorly. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think that this is a great time to take a break and to do a little brand culture trivia. All right. All right. So, all right, we're going to play the introduction, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to start with question one. So here's the introduction so that the audience can understand what brand culture trivia is all about. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome everyone to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guest. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely, the rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want, and the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. What is, is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless. But we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. Okay, so question one, and this is going to be Kevin, because Kevin, you qualify for the 14684 Brandology Bucks, man. Yeah, I'm so excited. K 
Karen, you can you can bat for them, and Mark, trust me, will not win because even if he's given the answers ahead of time and he's been on the podcast a hundred times, he still doesn't get the right answer. So we're still going to work on it. So I don't know who hired the guy, but anyway, it's from watching Cartoon Network all day, I guess. <laughs> Oh, I like it better gosh. than the news. <laughs> I'm going to start tracking your your web browser history. <laughs> and, while, and while there's like my KM and like all covered, there's going to be like Cartoon Network up there. Scooby-Doo is a big thing. All right. Okay, let's go from here. This is, should be one for Karen. She should be okay with this. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a slogan. Guess as many times and as fast as you can what company, what brand this is. Question one. What's in your wallet? Um, that's City. Chase. Nope. nope. Um, Bank of America. Nope. Oh, credit card. Jennifer Garner. <laughs> yes, it's Jennifer hey. Garner. What's in your wallet? Mark, um, you got nothing? Is it American Cheerios? Express? I got nothing in my wallet. Uh, Literally nothing in my wallet. No, you don't. I don't you enough. Capital One. Oh, yes. that's it. Heaven uh, with the wind. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Capital One. Okay. Mark, you have to keep track. Some terrible okay. math. So Kevin has one. Okay. I don't know if I want Mark keeping track. <laughs> I know. That's a scary thought, isn't it? All right. Here's another one. Here's another one. Taste the rainbow. Cheerios. Cheerios. Lucky Charms. Uh, taste Lucky Charms. Taste the rainbow. Skittles. Mountain Dew. Yes. Oh. Did Kevin get that one? Kevin's running away know, with I'm it. Sorry. Dude. Sorry. I'm wow. Sorry. Okay, it is two, two to nothing to nothing. Wow. Children okay. at home that, that come to me with all these commercials. So I think all it's right. an unfair advantage. All right, I'm going to make it harder. <laughs> I'm going to do a little research here. I'm going to find us something really, really good here. Did you say harder? I couldn't even come up with it. <laughs> Mark, I don't think we can handle harder. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. Um, what company hired Ridley Scott to film a commercial that aired only once on TV in the 1984 Super Bowl? What company aired a commercial during the 1984 Hint 1984 Super Bowl that was only aired once and fun fact it was judged one of the most influential commercials by advertising executives worldwide Ridley Scott isn't he a movie director yes he is yes what? movie movie it's director a very impactful I... company Nike no um 1984 uh, Tylenol, uh, Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> oh. um, it was the announcement of a new product. Apple. Apple. 
people. Oh, oh my gosh, he ran away with Ooh. it and he won it. <laughs> it was a landslide. It was. Kevin, congratulations. congratulations. Thank, wow. you. Thank you. Two for Kevin, two for Karen, and one for me. Holy cow. <laughs> yes, Apple, it was that it was the 1984 commercial that introduced the Macintosh. And oh, the whole okay. point of that was about the brand, and the whole point of that was that that was the first time Apple ever announced the personal computer. Meaning, meaning 1984, George Orwell's 1984, stood mm -hmm. for state-run, state-controlled, big government, everything. And his whole hippie philosophy, which we adopt and believe in now, is that it was all up to the individual, right? And, and he said, in 1984, in October of 1984, we're going to introduce the Macintosh. And 1984 will be nothing like 1984. And there you go. Wow. See, we all learned something here. There's a lesson. There's a lesson. There's lots of layers here. We're a big onion. We are a big onion. There's lots of layers here. Lots of layers. All right. So let's get back to questions. Mark, go ahead. I'm curious, Karen, as far as the banking industry as a whole, um, and with this change based around the pandemic and, you know, you're kind of in this, this new hybrid model that you described, what do you see for the future? Does it, does it look like it does? Does it change to something else? Do we go back once this is over to the way it was? What do you, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I think that um, big events like this, like 9-11, like the Great Recession, they don't just pass over without some lasting impact. And while I'm probably not a futurist enough to know what that is, I got to believe it's going to affect how people uh, view work today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, banking is not one that lends itself real well to working remote um, sure. because of the, the you know, so much personal yeah. service. Compliance mm -hmm. too, right? Because we can't right. trust our bankers to work from their, their Comcast firewalls right right exactly right. there's a lot of security and privacy issues sure. around that but i gotta believe that it is going to impact um uh, remote work and work-life balance you know some people who are working from home it's like you know what i can get up and take a walk in the middle of the afternoon take a break and um then come back to it and still get my work done uh, and i think that's got both positives and um maybe some negatives to to that yeah. but one of the positives that i'm really thinking about is we were already thinking about how can we be more flexible in offering uh, work-life balance. And it's going to accelerate how quickly we put things in place to be more um, adaptive and flexible. Um, you know, we had it on our three-year roadmap, our strategic plan, and it's gonna be, you know, addressed in year one now. Um, it also opens up opportunities. I'm not limited from a talent pool standpoint to right. just people within 30 or 40 miles from uh, Frankfurt. Well, I think um, that is a significant thing because I think that is one of the, one of the benefits that a lot of people have learned because as we have a remote workforce, why do we have to be within a 50 mile radius anymore? Exactly. Right? If I have somebody that can drive sales or have the accounting expertise I need and they are in Ontario or they are in Washington, right? Or they're in San Diego. Why can't I hire them, right? 
Because if my exactly. person two miles away is going to be remoting in, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. yep. No, I think you're exactly right. I think there's probably some social effects too of the pandemic. Um, that one concerns me a lot. Yeah. Um, the idea that, you know, we've been conducting so much virtually. I'm wondering, are, when are we going to get together again in a learning environment or in a celebration? Um, the Farmers Bank, we have a couple celebrations a year. And um, it, in August is one of them because that uh, marks the end of our fiscal year, which is June 30th. And um, we had to do it all virtually. And while they did a great job with it, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't quite have the same level of um, energy and excitement of bringing us all together. And no, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. People still need that human contact, right? Yes. So I had a meeting I attended, it was an in-person meeting and I really enjoyed it. We, everybody involved got, there were three of us in the, in the conference room. We all had to sit at different ends of the table, but mm -hmm. it was still, but the interesting thing was, is when I went to leave, the uh, gentleman that I was meeting with stuck his hand out and just as reaction, I shook his hand and we both looked at each other like, oh, what did yeah. we just do? Oh. What, what, right. <laughs> what, where do we go from here? And so like, <laughs> grab the hand sanitizer. Yes. <laughs> we, and we both caught it after we did it. We're looking right. at each other like, oh, no, like we accidentally kissed or something. It was just really <laughs> awkward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's going to be some of that. Mark and I want to take a moment and thank everyone that listens and subscribes to our podcast it means a lot we're truly trying to make this one that we ourselves would find interesting and find entertaining um, if you have any questions comments concerns or ideas for subjects great brands that have risen and fallen great case studies or fantastic guests that you'd like to see please reach out to us brandology podcast staff at gmail.com that's brandology podcast staff at gmail.com who knows how that's all going to shake out maybe in time we'll get back to the way it is now and, and from a social um i think how families um, have interacted now i don't have children at home but um, i you know have a lot of employees that do and um and I have family members who do, and I know that their kids are not in involve, as involved in as many things. They're spending more yeah. time at home, more time with the family. Maybe right. that'll turn be a positive thing. Right, so, sure. That's a great point because you know what's the term that had been kind of coined several years? Um, helicopter parents. Right. right. Kids are involved in so much stuff that you literally almost have to have a helicopter to get them to everywhere they got to go all day long, and things that aren't even scholastically driven. Uh, but they may be centered around school. But yeah, maybe this, maybe that's the good in this, and the, the, maybe that's the silver lining of the cloud is that we kind of reset where our uh, our family mm -hmm. values and our our time spent together, and where that's done and how that's done. So that's I, I appreciate you pointing that out. I had not really thought of that. Well, I mean, and one one thing we do is we do these lunch and learns. We do lunch and learns, and we train people on cybersecurity awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is for a couple of things. One, you can spend millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on infrastructure, tools, etc. But when you look at the data, data breaches, which destroy brands, right? And our, we're mm -hmm. not just about building brands, we're about protecting brands. They occur because of users. And it's not because of some idiot user or Mrs. Buttermaker oh. in the third floor cu cubicle. No, it tends to be the most educated, busiest 
most senior people that tend to cause a lot of the data breaches because they are just too busy and they're just not cognizant of what to be more paranoid about, right? And and so we really get together in person when we talk about that. And there's something about maybe it's the way I was raised, being Italian and stuff, but like breaking bread together, really talking about things. You see social cues that you don't see on video. You see body language. You understand certain inflections of the voice. All of that that by breaking bread together and really sitting there and having a lunch and learn, it really helps, right? And, and I, I think that's what really matters. And we always do those at no cost. Because to us, if we can do that for anybody, we do it for banks, we do it for, for schools, we do it for um, uh, uh, law firms and medical practices, hospitals, we did it for almost, you know, yeah, we, we, we do it all the time simply because if we can help them keep their brand alive, it's helping the community. It's yeah. helping everything. And then we can worry about like, you know, we can always bid on business when it comes to, oh, they're going to build a new building. Well, let's bid on that, right? As opposed to, oh my gosh, they've been breached. They're going out of business. Can you help them? No, but mm-hmm. that's like, if you're going to practice law, don't be a divorce lawyer. Like, that's like the worst time of everybody's life. Like, that is just misery, right? Like, like if you're going to do it, be like somebody that's going to build something and somebody that's mm-hmm. going to be part of the positive thing. And that's kind of how I look at this, is I want to protect the brand so that way we can talk about positive things, right? Mm-hmm. Like things right. that we all want to build. Right, right. I think so, that's a great point. And you're absolutely right about the um, security. You can put all the infrastructure and and all the defenses in place, but it really comes down to your people. And oh, it is. So, it's that and, human and, firewall. It's that human yep. firewall. Yep. And and what's amazing is that is the least expensive thing to do. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The least, <laughs> it is literally. It is literally <laughs> hundredth of the price of everything else that, that technology vendors sell, and yet people don't do that. They do that last because yeah. they just assume well, that that they're not going to click on the email from the prince from Nigeria. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, it's not 1996. It is not a prince from Nigeria. It's going to look <laughs> just like it's from Karen Gregerson asking mm-hmm. you to do something, and it's going to have all of the branding. It's going to look fantastic. It's going to look persuasive, and that's how you still have to, even in that scenario, while you're busy, while you're stressed, you still have to be able to recognize it, and that's exactly. what we do. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. I got one today from our HR department, and I know yeah. it wasn't from the HR department. Right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, HR gets it all the time because they get resumes, their PDFs. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, I'm applying for this job. They open it up. Boom, ransomware. Your systems are locked down everything else oh yeah it's brutal absolutely brutal so okay so mark as we wrap up mark has a question he always asks and then i have a question that i always ask so my favorite question is this and that is where's the most inspirational place you've ever traveled to ah um i don't care if it's seymour indiana (laughs) i know if there's something there i want to know about it because I might just drive over there. It's um, actually was um, South Africa, uh, Kruger mm. National Park. Wow. Um, 
Our two wow. oldest children had planned a trip there with their friends and um, they were trying to do it very economically and the friends dropped out and they had already had all these plans. And so we got ourselves invited to join our two oldest children uh, for a safari. Wow. And then we also um, you know, went visited Johannesburg and um, it was, uh, but that the Crystal Park. That, for me. That's a bucket list item for me. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, you just you just added another spot on my bucket list. Thank you. Yes. You know, the best part was eight hours in a Jeep for four days with our two oldest kids. That was just awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. We were, no cell we were, phones. No cell phones. No cell phones. Just, just looking at the, um, the, you know, the scenery, trying to find animals and, you yeah. know, point them out and taking pictures when you did find one. It just that shared experience. Um, and then just seeing it in the wild, you know, you can watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom or yeah. whatever animal show yeah. you want to watch. And, uh, but just seeing and experiencing the wild um, inspired me that how important it is that we protect it. Um, so that, that that's one. Good. I know that's kind of an exotic thing, but um, that was just, just really top of mind for me. No, so, so, so your message is not for us to be like Tiger King and to be like Carol Baskin. No, no. Well, I haven't watched that. I've heard about it. It doesn't sound like something that would appeal to me. No. Well, let um, me tell you, anybody with Midwestern values is not going to want to be watching that. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. We've, we've seen it and we, we make fun of it all the time. So it's, it's, it's good entertainment, but you have, to, you have to be in the right mindset to watch that stuff. Well, David, yeah, I do. There's always the question I like to ask right at the end of the podcast. And the listeners, we get some really good feedback. And it's always because the the answers are always so diverse. And I think it, it's always interesting. So I'll ask you, you know, when you were a child, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, I wanted to be a missionary. And that's okay. my earliest recollection of what I wanted to be was a missionary. And I think it was about age 10. But I don't recall why I was inspired for that. I did attend parochial schools. I don't know, maybe um, something I heard at school. But I think the idea of improving others' basic lives, you know, just the basic necessities of life and being able to help uh, provide some of that um, held a lot of appeal to me. Um, obviously, missionary to bankers, a pretty big leap. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, other influences got me to where I am today, I guess. But yeah, missionary. That's a great answer. That's a, answer. That's, that's a first. That's the first. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. The fact of the matter is, I really, I really am much better in um, where I'm comfortable uh, in terms of temperature and sleeping in a comfortable bed and all that. So I probably would have been really bad at it because <laughs> I understand there's a lot of personal sacrifice involved. Yeah, the whole roughing it part just wasn't appealing. I yeah, guess. probably not. Not so that's much. Cool. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was really good. I, I, there's some really good valuable things in here i'm actually gonna to have to go back and listen to this again because yep. you had some really great insight and some really uh some good words of advice and we appreciate you sharing all that with us absolutely thank you, thank you thank so you, much for your time we we are honored to have you on here and we will uh we will share this with everybody and we will share this we will let you know when this goes public probably within the next uh seven days and then we will okay. go from there well, thank you, Mark, David, and Kevin. It's been fun. I've enjoyed yeah. it. Well, Great. Thank you. We appreciate thank it. you so much. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, you by the way, uh, congratulations on the 14684 <laughs> brand out. We'll have to get box. the uh, accounting department. I can't wait. Our accounting department will be in touch with yours. And we will, All right. We will, we will 
wire transfer those and I think we have a convertible Bentley, there's a convertible Mercedes, there's a lot of toys on there. A lot of stuff you can choose. Nice. A lot of things. I think I'm going to put them in Karen's bank and let them grow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know know a really good banker, Kevin. I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you you get up to a million brandology bucks, you're living large. So that's yeah. Can't wait. Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. We really, Thanks, we really, we genuinely do appreciate your time. Thank yeah. you so much. We do. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. Meeting you about. Thanks, Karen. Right. Hey, everyone. The Brandology team has a special coming soon, and it's the rise and fall of an iconic international social media platform. At its peak. The website was valued at over $12 billion and had 75,000 new users every day. But within a few short years, it was liquidated and sold for pennies on the dollar. What went wrong? What caused this huge brand to fizzle? It was launched in 2004 and was acquired just a year later for over a half a billion dollars from Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. In fact, for the next three years, it was the largest social media site in the world. In 2006, it surpassed Google as the most visited site in the United States. So where in the world is it? Why is your new band's music not on it? Why do you not have an account on it anymore? Why even is this ridiculous podcast not hosted on it? What happened? Come listen as we explore in this next series the rise and fall of the iconic social media platform, MySpace. Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, Unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening.